Hey, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. It's just been Christmas. Uh, I had a pretty good Christmas, and uh, we celebrated Winter Solstice earlier this week. It was really nice. And if you celebrate any holidays this month, I hope you had a really good time. Um, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Solstice. What do we say for Solstice? I don't know. Anyway, I, I hope you had a good one. So I actually, I have a tiny bit of a scratchy throat. It was way worse earlier. I didn't think I'd be able to make this episode, but it's, uh, it's finally gotten a little better. A lot of, of, uh, honey lemon tea. <laughs> so anyways, uh, so my kids have been playing a lot of this, uh, video game called Among Us. And it's, it's like a little murder mystery game. And it has these adorable crewmates that look like if you drew an astronaut in the easiest way possible, so I can actually draw them. And they're super cute. And they all work together in a spaceship doing jobs, except there's an imposter among them or, you know, among us, if you actually play it. So, um, so yeah, it's this murder mystery game and the crewmates have to vote out the imposter before the imposter or imposters, there can be more than one, before they can kill everyone in the crew. And uh, you always play in a group and you might get to be the imposter, which my kids really like. And they were telling me there's some things that you can watch a player trying to do to see whether they're a crewmate or an imposter. Um, and then they were also like joking about other things they wish were in the game. Like not really, but, but like it would be so easy if you could just ask the player in the game, ask other players to open their mouths because imposters don't have mouths in their heads. So that would be a really clear giveaway. But then I got really excited because I don't really know much about Among Us, but I do know about trying to fit in with people. And I said, what you have described is known as a shibboleth. A shibboleth, as the word is generally used today, is a pronunciation or more broadly a custom or practice or some other distinguishing characteristic you can use to tell if someone is in or out of some social group. And it comes from this story in the book of Judges from the Old Testament in the Bible. Uh, the word shibboleth itself originally just meant river or ear of corn. And I'm not sure how we don't know like which one of those, or was it both? I don't know. Um, but that's like not how anyone uses it in English today. But anyway, back to the book of Judges. So you remember the time of the Judges was the part of the Bible that kind of took place in the story between when Joshua led the people into the promised land after the Exodus, but before Israel had kings like Saul and David. So the judges were people who stepped up or who God called at different times when the people needed leadership or needed to be saved from some threat. Deborah and Gideon from like some stories I've told before were some of the judges. Uh, Deborah was a really cool one. Gideon's kind of interesting. But um, the judges were not all wise and good people. So uh, the story of the Shibboleth comes from Judges 12 about a judge that I don't think was, you know, one of the most, I don't know, he wasn't, he's not my favorite. <laughs> there was this man from the region of Gilead in Israel, and his name was Jephthah the Gileadite. And that is J-A-P-H-T-H-A-H. So I find it really difficult to spell, and I wish he had, like, fewer H's. Jeff, Jephthah, it's hard to say. I always thought it was Jephthah. That's a little easier for me. Anyway, his name is Jephthah. I can, I can handle it. Um, but so he's called Jephthah the Gileadite, but there's this whole thing. 
when the story starts, he didn't actually live in Gilead anymore. He was run out of the city he had lived in by the other men because his mom wasn't married to anyone and they didn't want him getting an inheritance of land like everyone else because inheritances went from fathers to sons and he didn't have a dad around like everyone else. I mean, obviously he must have had a dad, but his mom wasn't married to him. So they're like, it doesn't count. You have to go away. We don't count you as one of us. So they were like really total jerks about it. So he went away and he settled in a nearby land and he actually kind of became important. He became surrounded by this powerful gang of ruffians who all followed him and um, they they did pretty well for themselves. So he had this reputation. Jephthah had this reputation for being a tough guy and a good fighter. And well, the men of Gilead who had previously sent Jephthah away came groveling back, begging him, please lead us. Because they were being picked on by the Ammonites. They were non-Israelite people who lived nearby. And the Gileadites wanted to fight back. And they figured Jephthah could help them. And like, I mean, remember, they ran him out of town. Because they didn't like his family or whatever. And he's like, I'm not going to help you. You hated me and you chased me away. And now you're asking for my help? Uh, but they promised that he would be the leader and commander of all of Gilead. And the prospect of being in such an important position over the city he'd previously been kicked out of was like a really good offer he could not refuse. So he's like, yeah, I'll lead you. But he's not going to fight the Ammonites right away. So there's there follows this letter exchange, this exchange of correspondence between the king of the Ammonites and Jephthah in which they debate their shared history of fights over this area of land um, where the Gileadites live, the, the land called Gilead. And some of the Israelites had inhabited it for like 300 years. And, you know, they passed the land on to their kids and stuff. It wasn't the same people. They didn't live 300 years. Um, but they, they kept giving their kids the inheritance. And it had been in those families for 300 years. And the king of the Ammonites is like, this is our land and you guys need to leave and we're going to make you leave. And Jephthah's like, it's our land because we are already on it and we're not leaving. And the letters are kind of a little dry and rehash some stories from the Exodus era that some of which I haven't told on the podcast yet. But I do like the part in the letter when Jephthah is like, our God gave us this land. So maybe y'all should have asked y'all's gods if you wanted land. And also maybe... You should have done something sometime in the last 300 years if this is so important to you. Well, he was not hired for his diplomacy skills. So having attempted the diplomacy, such as it was, Jephthah decided now he's going to fight the Ammonites. So he swore an oath to God, if you give me victory in battle, then I will give you, the Lord God, whatever first comes out of my front door when I go back home as a burnt offering. Gotta make dramatic pause there. What could possibly happen? Just whatever comes out of my front door. Yeah, that's... That's not gonna turn out badly. That's sarcasm. Okay, but, um, so he and his ruffians and the Gileadites, they fight the Ammonites, they win the battle. God was, like, with him and all that jazz, helping him win the battle, but... When Jephthah went back home, it wasn't a sheep or a goat that headed up the path to greet him. 
It was his only child, his daughter, playing a tambourine to celebrate his victory, as was traditional. And then he was, like, really sad to see her. And she was, like, celebrating him, and he's all, like, super upset. So he explains that he made this promise to the Lord, and I can't break the promise I made to the Lord. And then she's like, well, yeah, of course you can't break a promise you made to the Lord. But um, let me have, you know, if you're going to offer me as a burnt offering, then can I at least have two weeks to wander in the hills and mourn my lost future with my friends? So uh, she did that. And then it's not actually super clear in the text. It's not explicit. Like, did he kill her? Did she die? Or did she just, like, go serve a life devoted to God? Because that happens sometimes in some stories. Like, they just, like, they live a life devoted to God so they don't actually get to get married or whatever. So she doesn't get to have the future she was hoping for. Still sad, but, you know, less fatal. No, like, I was actually told, like, yeah, he, he killed her. Because, and, and I was told that was fine. Because it's, you know, better for her to die than to break a promise to God. Uh, but in, like, context when I'm reading this story now, it's, like, more of a tragedy. Either, in either case, really, because she didn't have a choice in her future because her dad made a foolish promise. And it, it reminds me of the story in Genesis that I told back in episode 18, when Abraham almost kills his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God until God's like, stop, don't do that. Um, and in Christianity, that's often presented as a triumph of Abraham's faith that he was willing to kill his son. But I was reading something from a, a rabbi I follow on Twitter, and she suggested maybe that was a failure. What if Abraham misunderstood what God wanted and thought God was like all the other local gods who demanded child sacrifice? And in other parts of the Old Testament, the Lord God fights the other gods who apparently do demand people sacrifice their children, like Baal and, and Asherah, names you might know by now. Child sacrifice was pretty common. So that's like, I was always told that's one reason that God had to fight those other gods and, and like Elisha had to get people to follow the Lord God instead of Baal is, you know, to save the children. And then here this story happens and evangelicals are like, oh yeah, it's fine. Like, mm, no, I don't think so. That doesn't make sense in the text. I don't think the text is saying this is all just great. Huh, so anyways. So the story says, um, you know, all that happened. And then the young girls of Israel would, for for decades afterwards, for years and years afterwards, they would go into the woods for a few days every year at that time to remember this girl. But uh, the text never actually mentions the name of Jephthah's daughter. It's just this weird, uncomfortable bit that just sort of hangs there awkwardly. And the evangelical Christian way of reacting to this story as well, you know, Jephthah did the right thing. Too bad he made a foolish promise, which, like, is horrifying. <laughs> and then the story just moves on, and more weird stuff happens. Not, like, miracle weird, though, just weird. So, um, Jephthah has, has won this great victory for the Gileadites over the Ammonites, and the, the neighbors, the Ephraimites come up and they're really mad about this. So, uh, like, back up a little background. Gilead was like a region where some Israelites lived, but it wasn't a tribe the way Ephraim is an actual tribe of Israel. So the Ephraimites show up at Jephthah's house. 
they're really angry. They're like, they say, why didn't you call us to fight with you? We're going to burn your house down around you. And, you know, and we're going to fight you. Because they were really mad that they didn't get asked to help fight the Ammonites. And they decide they'll just fight Jephthah and the Gileadites instead. Because that makes a lot of sense. Right? Okay. Or maybe they were super offended that they didn't get to take part in looting the defeated cities for lots of treasure. And thought they could treasure this way. And actually that makes a little more sense. Like it's consistent with what I know about humans and treasure. And then Jephthah was like... Actually, I'm mad at you because I did call you and you didn't come help fight. And that doesn't help anyone be less angry at all. And then the Ephraimites say, Gilead's not even one of the real tribes. It's just a region. You're all just renegades from our tribe. You should be part of our tribe or our brother tribe, Manasseh. Like, you're not even, like, you don't even count. And we're better than you, blah, blah, blah. So, like... Naturally, after this, the only thing they can do is fight, right? So they fight. They have this big battle. Um, and the Gileadites, Jephthah's group, they took some control. They took control of some, like, key passageways that people use for getting around, like, valleys or, or river crossings, the best place to cross the river. And so the Ephraimites are like, okay, we're probably done fighting. Uh, we should go regroup or whatever. But they had to go back through those checkpoints that the Gileadites controlled, so they decided, we're just going to say that we're actually from Gilead. And this is where the Among Us stuff comes in, right? Because there was this, this test they had to do to, to cross through, like to cross over the bridge or whatever. Everyone was expected to say a word that had the, the shh sound in it. But in the Ephraimite accent, they didn't say the shh sound. So the guards would be like, are you from Gilead or Ephraim? And they'd say Gilead, which was a lie. So then the guards would say, say the word Shibboleth. And if they were from Ephraim, they would say Sibboleth because they couldn't say Shibboleth. And then the guards would say, that's an imposter. And then they'd kill them. And that actually worked really well for Jephthah. So they won and he led Israel for six years and... It's like, it's like the weirdest happy ending in the book of Judges because they're just fighting like their cousins, sort of. They're, but anyway, he, uh, he won and he was the leader. And, uh, when he died, the Gileadites accepted him as one of their own and he was buried in the land of Gilead, which is, I guess, about the happiest ending he could ask for considering he was mortal and gonna die eventually anyhow. Um, so yay, Jephthah. Uh, and that's the story of Jephthah, which, I keep mispronouncing it. It's it's Jephthah with a PH, but I, I'm having trouble. Uh, I'm not going to re-record the whole thing, but I, I think I might have missed some corrections. Uh, anyway, but that's his, that's his story. And uh, I don't like, again, like maybe the Shibboleth thing is like kind of clever, but he, he's not really the wisest of, of the judges. He's probably also not the most foolish of the judges either, though, to be honest. I think, like, my story that I'm going to have in a couple weeks with another story from Judges, the story of Samson, it's weirder than this one. And I think, actually, that Samson may be even less wise. You'll have to listen and, and see what you think. Anyway, I'll be I'll be back with that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. 
Until next time, shine on, Star Child.